Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31. Here's what it says. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. Well, we're starting a new series today, as um, Jonathan mentioned earlier, and I, I think this is going to be a series I know I'm going to find personally helpful. Uh, I hope you'll find it personally helpful, too. Here's the thing about our American idols, and Jonathan pointed this out uh, earlier on in the service. Our American version of idolatry is, is what theologians have called for many years not open idolatry, but secret idolatry. And what they mean by that is just simply that a lot of times the type of idolatry we as Americans engage in when we we follow other gods is not something that's easy to witness or see. Definitely not in others. And sometimes it's difficult for us to even recognize it in ourselves. The thing about that is that I, I want you to know right from the outset of this series that God does not so much object to idols in our lives because it's going to do some sort of damage to him. God is the same. The Bible tells us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why God is so opposed to idolatry, and this is one of the things that I hope to, to show you four times as we go through all four weeks of this series, why he's so opposed to idolatry is what it does to you and to me. And how destructive it can be for us to follow other things, put other things first in our lives that are not God. And so as we go through this series, we're going to be talking about position and power and possessions and even the play that we engage in and how all of those can secretly in a hidden kind of underneath the covers way draw us away from our relationship with God and and, and, and pull us into a position where we're headed towards self-destruction. Today, we're going to be talking about the first of those idols. And, um, and that's the, the American idol of position. What we mean by that is that in America, we, we really have developed uh, a need, a, a sinful need, really. A, a, a need that takes us away from God for status. When, when I talk about position, you could substitute your standing or your status before others. I want you to think about, um, for example, how everything is rated and ranked in our country today, right? If you're a football fan, NFL, you've got the power rankings that come out every week. Big NFL fans look for those. Where's my team ranked in the power rankings? If you're a college football fan, you're after those BCS rankings. If you're in the music world, you want to know if your favorite recording artist has... Uh, 
produced another gold or a platinum record, or is there music in the top 40? If you're in the business world, it's all about being a Fortune 500 company. Everything is rated and ranked. Even when you go to a baseball game. How many of you have been to the Diamondback game? I forget what inning that is. Long about the fourth or fifth inning, maybe during the seventh inning stretch, I can't recall. What do they play on the big board? The, the red and the yellow and the green, whatever it happens to be on that day, right? A hot dog, whatever it happens to be. And they're racing and jostling for position. And everybody's cheering for their, their red or their yellow or their green hot dog. American idols jostling for position. And I think, really, we tend to do that in our own personal lives, too. Maybe we don't talk a lot about it. Maybe we don't even recognize it in ourselves. But there's this tug, this inner pull to position ourselves and and to try to work our way up the rankings and the ratings. Maybe it's in our business world or our work world. Maybe it's even in our personal life. Where, where do I rate today? Where do I rank today with my spouse? Where do I rate or rank today with my kids? And we're constantly asking ourselves, looking at all these people, what's my rating and my ranking? What's my position? What's my standing? Almost as if, just like you can do with sports, right? You can look at the standings. For your particular team. Now here's why the struggle for position, the making position an idol can be so destructive. And I want to lay this out right at the front of the sermon. I think that when we follow the idol of position, we're setting ourselves up to be exhausted. I mean truly exhausted. Because position over against whom? You think about the audience that each one of us has that can potentially be rating and ranking you. People that you care about very much in your life. Your, your spouse, your children, your extended family, the people that you work with every day, best friends in your life. I want to share with you an email that I received a couple days ago. This is from a ministry leader at another church. This uh, person happens to be a youth minister. He's also uh, one of the fellows that gets often asked to stand up and and preach on a Sunday morning. And and he's writing about his December schedule. Right now, December is a huge month for feeling exhausted. Why? Well, I contend it has everything to do with position. In in December, often, we're, we're looking at this huge crowd of people that we feel, well, I don't want them to be displeased with me. I don't want that person to to think less of me. And we're running around constantly trying to maintain our status. Well, here's a ministry leader, Christ follower, top leader, and he's struggling with this issue. Listen to what he says. I was recently asked by one of my best friends to write a year-end article for his magazine about youth ministry. And the, the first thought that came into my mind, he says, is, I'm too tired. Then reality hit. Here's the reason I'm tired. 
I was speaking two weekends in a row at the main service. I had to help with the Christmas Eve services. I had to finish my personal shopping for my family. I had too much to do to write an article for Christmas. But Andy is one of my best friends. Well, honestly, I didn't think Andy would understand if I told him, no, I can't write this article for you. I knew that he'd be ticked if I didn't meet his deadline. And then I realized that Andy's own deadline for his magazine was Christmas Day. In his email, he wrote, the newsletter that contains your article is complete and is being sent at 5 a.m. on Wednesday. Wednesday, December 26th. Can we get your article by Tuesday morning, December 25th, so that we can lock up this issue? So here's his dilemma. He goes on. So tonight, as I was waiting to go on to preach at our 11 p.m. Christmas Eve service, so here he is preaching at 11 p.m. on Christmas Eve, I was telling my buddy Josh about my dilemma. I told Josh that I would either go home from the Christmas Eve service and write the article or go home and help my wife Kathy wrap Christmas presents because we hadn't had time yet to wrap the Christmas presents. Now there is a dilemma. Who do you want to lose position with? Your good friend Andy? Your wife Kathy? He says that's an easy choice. Sorry, Andy, you're not getting an article, but rather a thought. But you know what? It sounds easier than it is. He goes on and he writes, Now it's 12.45 a.m. on Christmas morning. And although I'm too tired, I'm still trying to make everyone happy. I'm sitting here writing this email, which is going to become the article doesn't just happen in December. It happens at different times every month. I hate that I still struggle with this. A lot less than I used to, but it's still a struggle. What he relates in the email is that he went home, helped his wife wrap the presents, and then felt guilty that he hadn't written, written the article for his friend Andy. So at 12.45 a.m., he sits down to write the article. Here's, here's the, the beautiful line in this email. I know that I wouldn't be so tired if I lived my life more focused on an audience of one. I wouldn't be so tired if I lived my life more focused on, on an audience of one. Capital O. One. The one. God. How tough that is. For a, for a Christ follower like the, the man that wrote this email, a ministry leader, for you, for me, to, to shove aside the fact that we love to have status in the eyes of the ones that we love, in the eyes of the ones that love us, many times in the eyes of the world. It's so hard to focus on an audience of one when in our mind we have an audience of dozens, hundreds, maybe even more. And that's why I think when Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians, he did us all a huge favor. Let me tell you a little bit about this congregation at Corinth. We can learn a lot from them because this was a congregation filled with people that were striving constantly for status in the eyes of the world. And you see it throughout this whole entire letter of 1 Corinthians. Paul writes them first of all and he says, I can't believe what you're doing. 
Christians are, are having lawsuits against other Christians. What are you thinking that, that you feel that you've got such a wrong that you have to put another Christian down by, by having a lawsuit against them? A little bit later, he points out that there are rich people coming to communion. And along in those days at communion, they, they had an accompanying meal called an agape feast. And at this meal with communion, you know what the rich people were doing? The people of status and standing in the Corinthian society? They were looking down their noses at the poor people and saying, we know you don't have enough to eat at this feast, but we're not going to share with you. A little bit later on, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about how the Corinthians are constantly comparing their gifts and their talents and their abilities with one another. And how apparently some of the Corinthians were saying, my gift's a little bit more desirable and more important than yours is. Even in chapter 3, if you just glance across the page, Paul says something that's, that's really interesting. And he's pretty, he's pretty tough on these Corinthians. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ. I give you milk, not solid food, for you're not ready for it, for solid food. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. You know why he's saying that to them? Because these goofy people, they were, they were quarreling and arguing and trying to establish their status by which leader they followed. Listen. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul... And another says, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere men? So what does Paul do with all of this? Pull out your crosswalk notes again. Take out that little blue half sheet and let's take a look at that. Well, first of all, and, and this can help all of us. It's so practical. If you're struggling with the idol of status, if you're struggling with the idol of position, listen to what Paul has to say to you. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. You know what those things are that he's talking about? What are those foolish, weak, lowly, despised things? They're you. They're me. Paul is looking at each one of us like he originally looked at the Corinthians and he's, he's reminding us, where were you when you started this adventure with Christ, this journey with Jesus? Where were you? Not many of you were really wise or influential or, or wealthy or powerful. Remember where you came from, Paul's saying. Remember how before you knew Christ, you were lost in your sin. And you needed to know Christ more than anything else. 
Paul takes us back to where we started. And, and notice another thing. Notice verse 27. Paul points us to God. He says, God chose the foolish things. Again, he says it. God chose the weak things. He chose the lowly things. And then, and then he contrasts that with the word human standards. Circle that word human standards. Not many of you were wise by human standards in verse 26. Not only does Paul remind the Corinthians of where they came from, he contrasts human standards and God's point of view. And that's key. You want to put aside the idol of position? What Paul is saying, let's compare what God thinks with what man thinks. By human standards, you weren't much. But God chose you. Do you see how important you are in his eyes? Do you see how valuable and necessary it is for God to have a relationship with you? In human eyes, you might not be all that. But in God's eyes, he wants nothing more than to call you his child, even though you're lowly and despised and not influential. Really key thoughts for us as we struggle with this idol. And you know what he's really saying? Here's the bottom line of all of this. He's really saying, ask yourself, What's the most important type of position? Are you ready to push aside the audience of many and focus in on the audience of one, capital O, the one? And if you are, understand that God wants you to have the most important kind of position that you can ever have. The position in his eyes that makes you, as Paul says in verse 30, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and redemption. You know what your position is in the sight of God? That most important position? Righteousness, holiness, and redemption. You are on the right path. Holiness means set aside for a great purpose for God. You're set aside for a great purpose for God because you're holy and redeemed. You know what redeemed means? You're free. You're free from being a slavery, uh, from being a slave to a thousand voices. You're free to focus in on the one voice that really matters. Take a look at how Paul puts some of these same thoughts in Romans chapter 5. You know what your most important position is? Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. I underline that because you want to know what your standing is, that most important standing? You're standing in God's grace, his undeserved love, his mercy, and his forgiveness. That's all I need to know about my standing. That's all you need to know about your standing, that you stand in God's undeserved love. And the psalmist puts it another way. What's our standing with God? Well, once we were far away from God. We were standing way off out there because of sin. But the psalmist says, no more. Now, because of Christ, you're standing near to God. 
Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. So here's our first point for this morning. God gives us the most important kind of position, and that's position with him. By a declaration, because of his son, Jesus Christ, he says, here's your position. You're right with me. You're clean and holy and set apart for a a special purpose. You're holy. And you're redeemed. You're free to serve me. That's the most important kind of position that you can have. Remember how we talked about how this idol of position can be an exhausting God to follow? You know why that is? Because if you, if you measure position, as Paul talks about, by human standards, how do you get it? How do you and I get position when it's measured purely by human standards and not in God's sight? You know what most people will tell you? Hard work. If you want to get position in this world, if you want to climb the ladder in the world's eyes, you better prepared to work your buns off. Will Smith had a, an interview recently that I, that I caught. And you know, he, he's established himself pretty well. Positioned himself as a very successful actor. And he said, you know how I got here? I'm not that talented, really. I have pretty average talent. I can get here by talent. I got here because I have a sick obsessive work ethic. I have an animalistic drive to succeed. That's how I got here. In fact, he says, when everybody else is sleeping, I'm working. When everybody else is eating, Will Smith, he's working. In fact, he he said, here's how I can judge whether or not a person is going to be successful in my world. I watch how they run on the treadmill. It says if a person says, I'm going to run three miles, and they only end up running two, I think to myself, that guy's never going to be successful. Because when I say I'm going to run three miles on the treadmill, you know what I do? I run five miles. Sick, obsessive, animalistic drive. That's what he calls it. That's how you succeed and gain position. In the world's eyes. You know what Jesus says? If you want to focus on the audience of one. And how you get position in God's eyes. Ironically. The exact opposite. Not by drive. Not by ambition. Not by old fashioned hard work. And and by the way. Just an aside here. The Bible has nothing against good hard work. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in several occasions that he worked very, very hard as an, as an apostle. In fact, the Apostle Paul is the famous author of the statement, he who will not work will not eat. So the Bible has nothing against good old-fashioned hard work. But when it comes to our position with God, you know what the answer is? Not work, but rest. Rest. Rest in God's promises. Rest in God's goodness. Rest in God's forgiveness. 
Rest in the knowledge that you have eternal life already firmly in your hands because Jesus died on the cross for you. Not good old-fashioned hard work, but good old-fashioned hard rest in everything that God has to offer you in Jesus Christ. Now think about that. That if you want to have status and position with your heavenly Father, all you have to do is go, Ah, what a great and good and merciful God I have. It is so good to follow him instead of the idol of position that constantly wants to work me to death. You know that the reason you can just rest is because Jesus has done it all for you, right? We're celebrating at Christmas that here's this this guy, this God-man, Jesus Christ, who had the highest position, God, King of kings, Lord of lords. And what did he do? He said, I'm coming there, down to earth, to hang out with you. I'm coming there to be a man so that I can sacrifice my life for you. Do you know that uh, the little town where Jesus was born, Bethlehem, was a very humble little town, wasn't it? Jesus, this great king of king and lord of lords, agreed to be born in a little stable, laid in a manger, a food trough for animals. But even the town where Jesus was raised was an extremely humble town. In fact, do you recall the story about how Jesus almost got shoved off the cliff when he did a miracle in his hometown? And it upset the townspeople so much. That means Nazareth was built on a hill. I want you to think about Jesus' everyday life as he was growing up. I'll bet he had strong legs and strong arms. Because anytime he wanted to go out and gather wood for his father's carpenter's shop and haul that up, he probably had to go down that hill and up that hill. Modern-day archaeologists will tell you that there's only one spring in the town of Nazareth. You know where that spring is? Where you can get water for your everyday life? down at the bottom of that hill. Can you imagine Jesus treading down that little path down the side of that hill for his mom, Mary, getting water, probably a couple of heavy buckets, and bringing it back up the top of the hill? Jesus had strong arms and strong legs physically, but more importantly, on a spiritual plane, he's done everything for us so that our relationship and our standing and our status with God is fully reestablished. He lived a perfect life in your place. He sacrificed himself and died a death on a cross, a horrible death, so that you and I could just rest back and say, Jesus, you did all the work. I don't have to work anymore. I can just rest in the peace that you want to give me. You know what we call that? What I call it is, an undeserved promotion. Sometimes we feel in the world's eyes, if we want a promotion, we got to work hard. But with Jesus, we all get a promotion. It's a child of God, undeserved by his grace. And that's our second point for this morning. Let's just rest in God's promises, knowing that the reason we have a good standing with God is that Christ has given us this promotion as a free gift. Take a look at your, your notes. 
Ephesians 2, 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you once were far away, you've been brought near. How? How? By working hard? No, by just resting in the fact that Jesus worked hard for you through the blood of Christ, you've been brought near. For he himself is your peace, who's made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus once told his disciples, you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Now, I find that amazing. Not only because God is saying, I chose you, but he's also saying, if you just come to me, take my yoke upon you, you will produce fruit that will last. Not by hard work. So, so much of the time we spend striving and struggling to produce results in our lives. And Jesus says, if you'll just rest in me, you'll produce fruit that will last to eternity. Isn't that amazing? And that's exactly what he's saying in our text. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose. Circle those chosen. All those chosen. 27. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before him. Your standing before God is by Jesus' promotion. He chose you. All right. Third point. One of the reasons we love to have status and standing in life is because when we have status and standing, it gives us bragging rights. Yet, Yet to boast about how you've achieved these things, right? High school teams that win state championships, many of them for the rest of their lives, they'll, they'll go through and go, I was a state champion, basketball, football, whatever. We love to have that. In fact, on Friday, I was interested to read an article in the Arizona Republic about the Cardinals and the guys that go on IR, injured reserve. I don't know if you caught this article. But do you know what it said? It says there's like seven or eight Cardinals players that are on IR right now. And once a player goes on injured reserve, you hardly ever see them again. They don't pitch up at games. A rare occasion they do. Matt Leinart has been at games. They don't pitch up at practice. They don't pitch up even in the locker room. One of the players that pointed out had tons of cards and gifts and stuff all stacked in front of his locker, but he's not going to pick them up because he's on injured reserve. You know what the article said? It said the primary reason why these players don't show up is pride. Since they're no longer with their teammates working hard, no longer with their teammates on the playing field, they feel kind of ashamed to pitch up around the locker room or in practice or on game day. And so they disappear because they no longer have bragging rights. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Are you tempted sometimes to disappear when you feel like you haven't earned your bragging rights? 
when in the eyes of the world, when the eyes of this audience of dozens and hundreds, you're maybe feeling like you've been not promoted but demoted? And you just want to kind of go hide yourself away so that you don't have to face the knowing looks, the, um, the unspoken questions. What happened to this guy? What happened to this girl? How could they have ever gotten themselves into that demoted position? You've lost your bragging rights. Well, that's why it's so important to stay focused on that audience of one. There's another Cardinals player that I think kind of exemplified that this year. Number 13, I wore his jersey on Christmas Eve. Remember when he got demoted at the beginning of the season in a very public way? A guy who'd been to the Pro Bowl, thrown record numbers of touchdown passes, but the younger guy was chosen as the starter and in the place of this aging guy, Kurt Warner. He didn't hide himself. Even though in the eyes of the world he was demoted, lost his bragging rights, and he's a Christ follower, he stepped up and he said, this is not the position I would choose for myself, but right now it's the position God's giving me. And this is a stage, this position that God's giving me, though it's a demotion in the eyes of the world, I know that I can serve God from this position. I can can help others see Christ. I can give glory to God. I can work for him from this position. And I know God is in control. He'll do with this situation what he wants to do. Now, to me, that's amazing. And it's the result of realizing that no matter if you've been demoted in the eyes of the world or not, you still have bragging rights. You know why? You can never lose the right to boast about Christ, no matter what position you're at in the world. When you follow him, when you receive his forgiveness, his grace, the eternal life that that he gives you, When the Holy Spirit plants faith in your heart through the word and the sacraments. From that point on, the Holy Spirit gives you boasting rights to say, I'm a child of God. And I am ready to boast in the Lord no matter what comes. That's our third point. And it's very important that we realize that we can never lose those boasting rights. Because that helps us deal with this idol of position. Take a look at what Jeremiah wrote. Here's a man that, trust me, had some pretty low moments in his life. He was thrown in a pit and had mud up to his waist and food thrown down into, to him at this pit at one point of his life. But look at what Jeremiah says. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight. And Paul the Apostle, he really brings it all home when he says, when our focus is on the cross and on what Jesus has done for us there, we can boast every day. In Galatians 6.14, he writes, May I never boast 
except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me. This audience of many has been crucified. It's, I'm, I'm dead to that audience of many now. And I'm focused on the audience of one. And I to the world. Well, the idol of position. As we start talking about American idols, I wanted to start with this one because I think this is kind of a foundational way that the world wants to pull you and me away from God by getting us to strive to be successful in the eyes of many, to to try to spend our whole life running around pleasing as many people as we can so that we can have position in their eyes. And I want you to know that God is encouraging you today to just rest back in his promises, to trust that his cross has won everything that you need to have and that the most important position that you need to strive for is only position in his eyes. And all you need to do to to achieve that position is rest in God's good promises. And don't forget, you have these wonderful boasting rights no matter what. Those are never going to leave you because you can always do exactly what Paul says. You can boast in the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that I no longer have to, to keep working and working and working myself to the bone to get position in the eyes of an audience of many. Lord, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus for me and that through Christ, I now have the only position I need, the most important position in the world, and that is I am righteous, I am holy, and I am redeemed in your sight, and I need nothing more. Lord, help me to understand that I can stop all the work, I can stop all the striving, and I can just boast in you because you've given all this to me as a free gift. Lord, help me boast so that others can know that they can have this peace and this rest and that they too can stop all the striving and the worshiping at the altar of the idol of position. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.